I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Good evening to our listeners across the United States and around the world. We are really grateful for the time that you spend with us. Tonight's guest has appeared on the Travel Channel, on numerous radio shows, and throughout the professional broadcast or podcast circuit. Her name is Denise Stoner, and Denise has an educational background in business and psychology. And she's a certified hypnotist specializing in regressive hypnosis, Gary. Uh, One of the things I find incredibly interesting in her background is she worked for the United States Department of the Interior, the National Park Service, for the uh, Saudi Arabia team. And part of her task was to plan, design, and construct the very first national park in Saudi Arabia. That in itself would make an incredible story on our podcast, wouldn't it? She also spent uh, 12 years with the United States Navy doing background investigations for new recruits wanting to enter the nuclear power school. And here's the kicker. Denise Stoner is a part of the Mutual UFO Network Experiencer Research Team. She's also the Assistant State Director of the Florida MUFON. Welcome to the podcast, Denise. Uh, It goes without saying that your incredible life experiences really qualify you as a world-class storyteller. Yes, uh, I really appreciate you having me tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is our pleasure. I, first of all, co-authored a book, The Alien Abduction Files, in 2013 with Kathleen Martin. She was always interested in my story and she did my investigation and we talked about all of this uh, throughout our two years of work on the book. So um, she is aware of everything I'm going to tell you tonight and has it in her files. My grandmother um, was from Scotland. She was born near Lanark and uh, they called them Glaswegians because they were near Glasgow. Um, Her and my grandfather came over from Scotland and set up housekeeping in Connecticut. And that's where I was raised for many years um, until we moved to California, grandparents came along. So for a long time, I was raised based on everything that um, people learned when they had UK training and raising and how you behaved socially, all of those types of things. So um, just to give you an idea, um, we ate certain types of food, um, certain types of behavior. If you had company, you then um, did not wear jeans. Even in California, my grandmother would say, could you get out of those, please? (laughs) Could you wear a dress for me? I'm having company. (laughs) So um, (laughs) she was a school teacher in Scotland. And her picture still hangs in the original schoolhouse. Oh, wow. Yes, with some of her students. So when um, we moved, or she moved, she became a manager, one of the first women managers in one of the large department stores in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted her to go back to school in order to teach here in the United States. And she was a college graduate and didn't feel that she wanted to start all over again. So she said no and got a really good job that took her through um, to retirement. And my grandfather um, was a horticulturist. He was offered a scholarship to an art school in France. There were eight children in his family and his father said, no, don't want you to do that. So he became a horticulturist and he took care of a huge mansion um, in Hartford called the Severance Mansion. Um, It was designed um, by the National Park Service and then he was asked to keep it up. So it's still there now. It was once a women's um, dorm and a private college. And then it was for poets and artists. And now it stands empty. Um, And some of it is still just as it was when all of us in the family were asked to stay there in the summers. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to live in that 32-room, three-story mansion. Um, It was a fantastic place. Uh, for many summers. So uh, moving on, we all moved to California and then on to Colorado. And my grandmother grew older. And as she did, it was time for her for safety's sake, since we were all working uh, to be moved to a good facility where she would be cared for. And um, she had a lot of good caregivers. We visited her every other weekend from Denver. My mom went every weekend. And as we visited her and began to talk to her, she was open to discussing who might be on the other side. What's that going to be like? And she spoke openly of perhaps at some point, she might have some visitors who would come for her. And we talked about that a little bit. And she faded here and there, and I could tell. She seemed like she wasn't there with us all the time. And if, if we took my daughter to see her, who she was very fond of, she would come to and be very alert um, and thank me for bringing my daughter. So this one weekend, um, we went to visit her, and she said, you know, I've had those visitors we spoke about. And I said, and who would they be? Well, my grandfather was 13 years older than her, and he passed before her. And he actually had gone to bed the night he died, the afternoon, actually. And when my mom went off to the store and she said, I'll see you in a little while, Dad. And he said, shook his head no and waved. He actually waved goodbye. When she came back, he was gone. And he was smiling, looking up at the ceiling and smiling as if he'd seen something that looked happy to him. So my grandmother knew that and she wondered what he had seen. And she told us on that visit that my grandfather and his brother, who we called Uncle Charlie, had come. And they had visited her two or three times. And we said, well, do you know what they wanted? And she said, yes. We said, did they want you to go with them? They did. So we gave her permission right then and there if she chose to, to go with them. And she said, 
not quite yet, pretty soon, but not quite yet. And I said, well, are they coming often? And she said, yes. And they stood right there and she pointed at the foot of her bed. I said, did they seem happy? Absolutely. So we talked some more and I asked her if they were solid when they came to visit her. And she said, solid, just like you and me. So I knew that she didn't have much longer. My mom was with us and we felt that she was hanging on because we were there visiting. It was real close to time for her to leave. And she was actually fading, but then grasping the bedside rails, which were cold. And we could see that bringing her back, almost startling her back. And so we said, you know, maybe it would be best if, if we leave. So we did. And two days later, she was gone. So fast forward, um, we had done a little memorial service for her, just a few people that she knew and family. It was of us that were left. And so uh, my mom and I had gone through all of her things and we found an address book that had family members who were still in Scotland and some that were in England um, that had been born in London and still lived there. Um, actually third cousins of mine that will come into play later on when we talk about another story. Um, and so we took the address book up to my house in Denver and we decided we would write a card to each one of them that didn't know that she was gone as an aunt, um, a niece and, and friend. So we sat down at my dining room table one afternoon and it was winter time, so it was cold. The sun was shining through the sliding glass doors, and it was very quiet, quiet afternoon. And we started to write, and we were each writing letters. It, instead of turning out to be a short note, we were writing letters and talking to each other. And all of a sudden, I heard a whistle, and I couldn't figure out what it was or where it was coming from. And I got up and started to walk around to see if I could locate the sound. And sure enough, it was in my kitchen. And it was on my stove, and I thought I had left the kettle on. So I turned the heat off and just let it quiet down. Went back, and we started to write again. And it wasn't five minutes, and that whistle was going again. And I looked at my mom, and I thought, maybe there's something wrong with the wiring and I'm going to go turn that off again and I'm going to move the kettle. So I went through, moved the kettle to another burner, made sure everything was all right, turned off, went back to the table, sat down and sure enough, five minutes, kettle went, the whistle was loud. It seemed like that water boiled way quicker than it had the other two times. So I went, racing through. I thought maybe the whole stovetop, something was wrong. And I reached for the handle that was, it was curved on top of the kettle, reached for it, put my hand on it. And right then I felt a breeze, something blowing by my ear. And I heard my grandmother's voice. And I heard her say, I lass. 
and I knew it was her telling me, don't you remember? You spoke to me about promising if I could to come back and tell you I was all right. I had asked her if she could do that, would she? And she had made the promise, I will if I can. And I knew it was her. And then I felt her hand on the top of mine, on the top of that kettle. And I looked at the clock, it was three o'clock. And she insisted on having high tea at three o'clock every afternoon. All of that tied together, there was no question that it was my grandmother. And, and she, she whispered in my ear, and that was really some experience. I went to my mother right away, and I said, Nana's here. And that's what I called her, and I told her what had happened. And when you, when you sign, I think she was also reminding me, when you sign something, a letter or a note to someone that you're close to, and you're Scottish, you say, as I, that means as ever, forever as I. So that's what she had said to me, whispering in my ear. That wow. is truly amazing. It really is. I think there's probably a number of folks that may have experiences like that. And, and when they do, it's something that they remember for the rest of their lives. And, and it seems like you haven't forgotten the smallest detail mm -hmm. of this whatsoever. I so haven't. many years later. Right. No, I haven't forgotten a thing. I remember her touch on the back of my hand. I remember the breeze. I remember her voice. Yeah. And we were talking about this um, after we had uh, read some of the stories that you had emailed us. And uh, I was telling my dad, I remember having a similar experience with my grandfather uh, about a week or two <laughs> after he passed away. Um, I had had a dream that he was, he was in the house and uh, he had said that he missed all of us. And I woke up and uh, my grandmother, who was, um, she wasn't doing so great and she was in a hospital bed at home and um, she was talking to somebody in the living room. And so me and my mother got up to go see what was going on. And she, my mom said, uh, who are you talking to? And she goes, I'm talking to your dad. He came to visit me. And the whole house smelled like his cologne. Oh, isn't that amazing? It was unbelievable. It is. Mm-hmm. Now, and once you have that experience, boy, you, you don't ever forget, forget it. No, no, no. It's, it's something that uh, stays with you. Now, Denise, yes. we understand also that you have uh, had some very, very unusual experiences in the hospital. I did. Um, yes. I, I think tying my life together, um, I ask why me? often uh, why did I have all these experiences but perhaps they all belong as one story um, I think if you're going to have one unusual set of circumstances you're going to have several if you take a look at it you're perhaps meant to tell them and share them and allow others to open up and ask questions about their lives um, when I was 20 and it was 1969, um, I had a daughter, have a daughter, but she was five months old, and I'd been having headaches, and I'd been feeling discomfort um, that I couldn't really describe. And I went to the doctor, and he said, well, maybe you need glasses, you're so young. And I said, well, what about dis discomfort around my rib cage? Well, there's nothing there that, that can cause that. 
So back then they didn't really run any tests and I went and got glasses. I really didn't need them. And uh, as I was told, I didn't need glasses. So um, I continued on and I started feeling extremely weak. I could barely get up to take care of our daughter and my husband was working long hours to support us. So one morning I got up and the headache had just been getting more and more violent. And I was watching TV and I just couldn't quite focus. And then I felt like a bubble burst in my head. And that's what it felt like a pop. And when that happened, I knew the headache, it's gone. But also gone was my speech. The ability to stand up, the ability to use my right hand. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is, this is not good. I don't know what's going on. Um, I could see on the table across from me our telephone. And I was going to have to get to it. But then I realized that I didn't know who to ask for. If I called my husband, I couldn't remember his name. And I thought, if he doesn't answer the phone, I'm in trouble. So I thought, well, I, I have to try. So I dialed his work phone. He answered. But the only thing I could say was, I don't know. Those three words. He wondered if I'd been drinking <laughs> because my words were slurred. Well, when you're 20, you don't think of things I like know, that, that, no, you know, not. that there was an illness going on here. And, but finally he said, I'm coming home. So he was 45 minutes away. He got in the car and drove home and he soon realized I, I was deathly ill. And his boss had said, you take her to this private hospital. It was a private Jewish hospital. And he got me in there. And it was wonderful. Absolutely the most amazing place I have ever stayed and been taken care of. So I went in and pretty soon they had, I would say five neurologists around me asking me questions I couldn't answer. And they said, well, who's the president? I don't know. I said, you tell me. <laughs> I got that out. <laughs> and somebody said, oh, she's a wise one. <laughs> so they thought I had a brain tumor because I was too young to have had what they diagnosed two double strokes. Oh, my gosh. At 20 years old. Oh. Yeah. My God. So um, they put me into ICU, ran some tests, and while they were running those tests, I had something occur that they couldn't figure out. Uh, the pain in my abdomen is getting worse. And while they were looking for ways to figure that out, um, and I, the only way I can put it is I expelled what they describe, and it's in my records a violent purple liquid. Hmm. And I pushed the button for a nurse because the pain got worse. And a nurse came in and stood by my bed. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, there's something very wrong here. There's something really wrong with the way she looks. There's something wrong with her clothing, her hair. Um, it was 1969, 
What she was wearing in the way of a nurse's uniform belonged in someone in the 1940s. It it didn't suit at all. Didn't mm. fit mm. the time place. and the place. Yeah, she had on the old, very sharp, pointy hats mm. that they wore back in the forties. Mm. Her hair was very, very thin, and it was fuzzy like Brillo, and it was just a tiny little bit sticking out the bottom of the hat. Now that I think about it, she had no ears. Very, very slight. And I turned to look, and she had great big almond-shaped black eyes looking wow. at me very intensely. She spoke, but never moved her mouth. So now that I think about it, she was talking to me telepathically because I felt the words in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And she said, well, let's see what's wrong here. And I just stared at her. I didn't know if I should be afraid. I didn't know uh, what she was going to do to me because she didn't seem to be normal at all. And she said, let's get those sheets off you. Let's get you cleaned up. And she took the sheets. And when she reached my shoulders... I felt myself lift off the bed. This is something that I haven't said too many times. I was floating above the bed, hmm. my whole body physically. Mm -hmm. She rolled the sheets up into a, a ball and she said, I'm going to tell you something. And I looked at her and she leaned over real close to me and I kind of backed up because of the way she looked. Her face was kind of triangular shaped and she said, you're going to be all right. Everything's going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. So I wondered to myself, how do you know that? And she said, well, I need to get this to the lab. I need to take these to the lab right now. She took the sheets and hurried out of the room. And I thought, well, what about this pain? This is all going through my head. What, what about this pain in my stomach? I'm not any better. You came and took my sheets. I rang the buzzer again. My doctor came in. I guess he was just in the hospital for the day or, or doing rounds or something. I had lost track of time. He came in. And he saw some of that stain on my gown. And he said, where are your sheets? And I said, well, the nurse took them. She took them to the lab and he said, she can't do that. I would have to order it. I need those sheets. He said, I need to know what that is. Where did that come from? And I, I just looked at him and I said, everywhere. And I pointed to my nose, my mouth. I said, every orifice, everywhere. So he uh, went and stood in the doorway, and he said, he called for another nurse, and he said, come here. Pretty soon, two nurses came and said, um, what's going on, doctor? His name was Dr. Carlson, I remember. 
And he said, I need you to find the nurse that took the sheets out of here. Ask me what she looked like. And they said, there's no one here mm. that looks like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, get someone down to the lab. I want you to look in the laundry chute. I want you to look in the basket, look everywhere, find those sheets. Never found the nurse, never found the basket, nothing in the laundry. Hmm. Those sheets were never found. Wow. So I ended up having emergency surgery. I lost almost all of my small intestines, all of my stomach. They gave me 20% chance to live. But this voice in my head kept saying, you were told you're going to be okay. Everyone said you were going to die, but that visitor said, you're going to be all right and not to worry. And I was. Wow. That is, <laughs> that is incredible. Truly, truly amazing. It really is. Did you have, um, did you say that you had a forensic drawing uh, made of this individual? I do. I had a forensic drawing of this nurse. Mm -hmm. And a funny thing about it, about, oh, five years ago, I would say, I had a visitor at my front door. My doorbell rang in this house here. And my daughter had fallen asleep on the sofa. It was a Sunday morning. And she said, Mom, we had told her, don't ever answer the door unless, you know, we come out. And we were sleeping because it was pretty early. And she said, Mom, the doorbell, the doorbell. So I ran out. And she said, look, we have a monitor so we can see who's there. Looked at the monitor, and there was the face of that nurse dressed up in a, a brown um, oh, I guess you'd call it a jumper, mm. except her hair was down in bangs. And I had the artist draw her. I can send you both pictures. And yes. I went to open the door, and she had turned her back and was halfway across the street. She wouldn't come back. So I followed her, and when she got between the houses across the street, she disappeared. Isn't that something? Wow. Isn't that something? And, of course, uh, you also mentioned that uh, these things are in those medical records. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. They're in those hospital medical records. Yes. The doctors wrote, that, that's what it says, violent purple liquid. And it's all written about the uh, nurse. Um, Kathleen Marden, my co-author, has all of that paperwork in her file mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah well denise uh, we want to thank you so much for sharing a few of your absolutely incredible personal stories with us this evening well i'm so happy to share them um we don't know why these things happen to individuals and mm -hmm. it should help others to open up and ask more questions or go to someone who is there to support them in sharing oh absolutely yeah. absolutely thank you so much so folks if you are interested in learning a little bit more about denise and her experiences you might want to look for her book the alien abduction files very interesting read i guarantee you'll like it so thanks again for joining us and uh well it's that time again 
Oh, I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And this truly was an incredible story. 